0: Anyway, again, happy Father's Day. I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want us to look at a chapter which uh, I thought of this chapter because it is one man writing to another man. A man who is a mentor and an example to the one to whom he's writing, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And so uh, what I want us to look at this morning is an anchor, uh, having an anchor in the storms of life, because we know today there are storms of life all around us. We see it. And so uh, it's a tremendous chapter in the Bible, I think, that encourages men to not only discern the times that we're in, but to know how to live in these times Uh, now i'm going to be reading this morning as i've been doing lately from the niv Uh, i love the esv and the new american standard as well Uh, the reason i've been reading from the niv lately with so many people watching online is because if you could have the niv in one category and then all other translations combined in the other group the NIV worldwide still outsells all other translations put together by three to one so without a doubt it's the most purchased and hopefully read translation out there and with so many people watching online from home I figure most households probably have a copy of the NIV. Uh, It'd be interesting when we regather together what translation our people uh, use. I may ask you more about that, but would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Paul says, but mark this. Notice notice the emphasis and the attention-getting phrase, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, Rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching. My way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. "...while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, in Christ Jesus." All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you. You may be seated. It seems weekly now that we hear of some new tragedy or atrocity being committed somewhere. Connie and I were speaking just last week of of the rapidity of which we're seeing all of these things happen. We're not even recovering from one thing and the next happens. Folks, tribulation is not just way out there in the future somewhere. We're experiencing tribulation now on so many levels. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. And then through media today, we have so much more exposure to all of the tribulation happening. Folks, if anything, I think you would agree with me, these are dangerous times in which we live. They are treacherous times. But I hope that doesn't discourage you because, as Paul says in Titus 2, we are to be looking for our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen? I tend to think more and more that our redemption draweth nigh. Folks, we have a sure hope, a steady hope, a steadfast hope as believers. We know how it all ends. God's told us in His Word. He's written about it. I've told you before the words of Dr. Vance Havner, probably one of the most quoted preachers in American history. He says, I'm so grateful there's no Satan in the first two chapters of the Bible, and I'm so grateful there's no Satan in the last two chapters of the Bible. God wins, and those who are in Christ win likewise. Now, in the meantime, you and I don't need to be taken off guard by evil. We shouldn't be surprised at everything we see happening in the world and even how much worse it's going to get before the end. The book of Revelation tells us why it's going to get so bad, because Satan knows that his time is short. Now, Paul wants young Timothy to know that in the midst of the activity of Satan and in the midst of a world that seems out of control, the believer is not to grow discouraged. God has given us an anchor for our souls. He's not abandoned his world. He's not abandoned believers. And so we are to press on. Timothy needed to know these things. We need to know these things. Paul wants him to understand that while the world is going to go from bad to worse, the believer has two things to our advantage. Number one, we have godly examples that we can follow. And number two, we have the Word of God that instructs us. And that's what this chapter is all about. What an awesome chapter, if you think about it, for Father's Day. Because again, it's a chapter in the Bible written specifically from one man encouraging another man. An older encouraging a younger. Paul begins by pointing out the bad news, but he ends by telling the good news. The bad news is that the bad's going to get worse. But the good news is, again, we have an anchor. We have positive examples and we have the Word of God. Let's see how Paul develops all this. The first thing I want you to write down with me today is the tribulation that will rock the world. Look at verse 1. Now there's different translations, but look at what Paul says here. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, you and I need to understand the way the Bible uses the phrase, the last days. The last days are the period of time that stretch all of the way from the first coming of Christ until he comes back the second time. And that means we've been in the last days now for more than 2,000 years. I do not believe that, that the tribulation of the last days is isolated specifically to only a seven-year period. Now, that's not to deny that there won't be an intense period, but what the New Testament is trying to tell us is that these dangerous days of tribulation encompass the entire period known as the last days. Now, why is such a long period of time referred to as the last days? There's a good answer to that question. Jesus is the final and complete way that God has spoken to the human race. Jesus is who the Bible's all about. He's who the Old Testament is leading up to. And so with the coming of Christ, we have God's ultimate revelation of himself to his people. The writer of Hebrews says, in the former times, God spoke to us in in many ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son. In other words, Jesus is who the entire Bible is all about. Everything in the Old Testament was leading up to Christ, pointing forward to him. And so once he arrived, the last days began. I also think it's simpler than we make it out to be oftentimes. There is this age, and there's the age to come. There's two ages. The age to come is the new heavens and new earth. And so Paul says in these last days that we're a part of in this age, there's going to be terrible times, treacherous times, dangerous times. Again, with the birth of Jesus, Satan knows that his time is short. Now, all you've got to do is peruse some of the English translations to see what Paul is trying to communicate. Some call it dangerous times, others violent times, or others still difficult times or perilous times. J.B. Phillips says, the times will be full of danger. Now, the word here is quite interesting when he talks about dangerous times. You see, in the Gospels, for instance, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28, the word is translated fierce or violent, and it is a word used in the Gospels for men who were actually demon-possessed. Folks, the New Testament teaches that spiritual warfare is real. Demonic oppression. Demonic possession is very real. Why do some people do what they do today? Because they are under the influence either through oppression or possession of demonic powers. The book of Daniel even makes clear that there are principalities and powers in high places that are behind world kingdoms and powers. There's a spiritual warfare that is being played out before our eyes that we don't see with human eyes, but there's a spiritual warfare being carried out in the world that is far bigger than anything you and I see. As Paul closed out in chapter 2, he told Timothy that some men are held captive by Satan to do his will. It's interesting how in chapter 2, Timothy was to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, while in chapter 3, he's to remember these dangerous times and be mindful of them. The implication is for times that we live in, for these dangerous times, perilous days that we live in, there is only one answer to that, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now look at the evil he describes here. What are the tribulations that are going to rot the world? Notice what he says. Men are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. That's the devil's unholy trinity. All of the other perversions listed in this, these, these verses here seem to grow out of those. Now, you read these verses, and what's it sound like? Sounds like we're reading today's news headlines, doesn't it? That's why if somebody's not ready to meet the Lord, they better get ready to meet the Lord. Because time is short. We're seeing the signs right now that we might be at the end of the end. We might be at the end of the last days. He says men will be lovers of self. He's speaking here of an exaggerated love that people will have for themselves. They will put themselves and their own agendas before God. You know, one of the most popular evangelical catechisms, the Westminster Catechism, says what? The chief end of man is to do what? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But in these last days, men are turning that upside down and life instead is all about them. Now, there's a proper way to love yourself. Jesus said you're to love your neighbor as yourself. You're to find yourself worth in Christ. You're a person of value because you're created in the image of God. Christ redeemed you. He died for you on the cross. And so you're a person of value and dignity and worth. You need to see your significance in Christ and live for him and glorify him. But men today are not doing that. They're perverting that. They're putting self on the throne of their lives. And they're worshiping self. Then he goes on to say here, they're lovers of money. Lovers of money. The love of money and possessions that is even put ahead of life itself. Now folks, I want you to notice the progression here. On the one hand, if you love God and put God first, you're going to love the things of God and you'll value life. But on the other hand, if you love self and put self first, then you're going to love the things of the world. And oftentimes, human life itself is devalued. Then he says men are going to be lovers of pleasure. This too is idolatry. We don't bow down to wooden idols today in modern culture, but folks, we worship pleasure. And what's the logo of today? If it feels good, just do it. It doesn't matter who you hurt. It doesn't matter if it pleases God. If it pleases you and is pleasurable to you, do it. All authority is despised. God's authority is despised. We followed in the footstep. You know, people talk about it. if you don't know history, you're going to repeat it. Think about the book of Judges. What were people doing in the book of Judges? Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And that's what we're doing today. Those were dark days for Israel. They're dark days for us. You read this whole list. It's quite a list and it's not very complimentary. You read on in verse 3, the NIV says men will be without love. They will be heartless or without love. It's a loaded word. There's a lot of different nuances to it. It's used also in Romans chapter 1, verse 31. It can mean without natural affection or without any kind of family affection. There's different ways of looking at it. It seems today, for instance, no one really cares for their neighbor or their fellow man. And so a natural love that people used to have for one another is gone. Also, we see people doing inhumane things. That's another nuance of this word. Paul also uses this word in Romans chapter 1 to talk about same-sex affections, that they're not natural. The world wants to ram that down our throats today, but God says it's not natural, and it's an abomination to Him. Men will be unappeasable or irreconcilable. The NIV says unforgiving. Men will not forgive one another. They will not reconcile with one another. Sometimes you see this even in families or you see it in churches. People won't forgive one another. And Paul says that is a sign of this evil age, this evil unbelieving age in which we live. Men won't reconcile with one another. You know, sometimes you'll even hear Christians say something that's very dangerous because they need to stop and think what they're they're saying. They'll say, well, I could never forgive so-and-so. You sure about that? Because unforgiveness is a sign not of belief, but of unbelief. Believers forgive even as they have been forgiven in Christ. Then you look at verse 5. Look at what he says in verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, Paul's saying we don't just see this list of vices out there in the world. It's it's even crept into the church. People who go through the motions of religion, but there's no life transformation in them. They're not born again. They're not regenerated from above. They act like the world because they're of the world. They may be in the church, but they're of the world. They've never been changed by the grace of God. And so you look at their lives, and there's no difference between their life and the life of a man in the world. Religious? Yes. But not changed. What's Paul's advice to Timothy? Avoid people like this. All this list of vices, stay away from them. Yes, be a witness to them, obviously. Obviously. But don't throw in company with them. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your tongue. Guard your life. Don't be like them. It kind of reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 1, right? Don't stand in the pathway of sinners, nor nor walk. Don't, don't, Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, that is, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Stay away from them. Then he gives examples here in verses eight, uh, excuse me, verses six through nine. He gives some examples of, of what he's talking about. He, he's talking here in these verses about people who have denied the Christian faith and they've started teaching falsehood. And, and he's making clear that there's even some religious leaders involved in this. And he names two of them by name. Who don't show up anywhere in the Bible. But these two men do show up in Jewish wisdom literature. And look at their names. Jonas and Jambres. And Paul is comparing the false teachers of his day to those men Who in the world were these two men that he names? They are the men, according to Jewish wisdom literature, that were the magicians that advised Pharaoh. Remember when Pharaoh Moses went before Pharaoh and was throwing down his rod and turning the Nile into blood and all these magicians were, through demonic power, they were doing the same things? Well, in Jewish wisdom literature, These men who were advising Pharaoh, who were led by demonic powers, were named Jonas and Jambres. There was a spiritual element to their work before Pharaoh. But it was a satanic power. And and Paul is mentioning false teachers that Timothy is encountering who are operating in that same vein as Jonas and Jabrez were. And notice what he says they're doing here. They're weaseling their way into households and capturing weak women. Now, don't understand, ladies, don't understand that he's just slamming all ladies. That's not what he's doing here. What he's talking about, we know in ancient times, oftentimes, what would a woman do? A woman would stay home and mind the affairs of the household, keep the home fires burning. She wouldn't be out there a lot of times in public life and in the know about a, a bunch of things. And so what, we're, what are these false teachers doing? They're, they're saying, hey, you know what? We can knock on these doors and we can talk to these ladies and we can try to sway them because they, don't, they might not know what we're talking about. And we can sway them and if we can win them, we might can end up winning their whole entire household through them. That's what Paul's talking about here that just like Satan used Eve to deceive Adam and get him sinning, these false teachers of Timothy's day are doing the same type thing. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, what in the world am I supposed to do to counter all of this? Stay tuned, Paul gives the answer. The second thing I want you to see is the anchor that will ground the Christian. He begins talking about that in verse 10 going through the end of the chapter. If we have a physical problem, what do we do? We go to the doctor and we get medicine. Well, spiritually speaking, after spelling out the problem, Paul gives the answer. He gives the prescription and he names two things that you and I can do to live in the tribulation that characterizes the days that we're in now. First of all, we have one another. We have the people of God. Beginning there in verse 10, uh, Paul mentions that Timothy had a good mentor. Paul had been his mentor. Men, it's important to have good examples. We look at good examples in the church, how they carry out the work of God. We see men and women who faithfully labor in the Lord's vineyard. We see how they handle the ups and downs and disappointments of, of life. We look at the outcome of their life, and, and it's an encouragement to us. And we ought to say, God, help me to be like Him. Amen? Amen. Pick out those good examples in the church and emulate them. Again, Timothy had Paul. There's no way Paul could have ever been characterized as somebody who was a lover of self, lover of pleasure, and lover of money. Paul mentions here all of the trials and tribulations that he went through. What he's doing here in this chapter, he's mentioning all of the trials that he had on his first missionary journey. Why in the world would a man endure the things that Paul endured on his missionary journeys? Why would he even get up after he'd been stoned and left for dead? He got up, went back into the city, and continued preaching Jesus. Why would he do that? Well, you certainly couldn't say that Paul was in it for himself. if Paul was in it for himself, he'd have gone home. Quit preaching Jesus. So no way that Paul is a lover of money, lover of self, lover of pleasure. And again, Timothy has Paul as an example. Dads, I want to ask you this morning, who are your examples? Who are your mentors? Do you have godly mentors and examples? Are your mentors just maybe sports stars? Men of the world, do you have any godly examples? Do you have any men of faith like Timothy had Paul that you would look to and say, Wow, God helped me to follow in his footsteps and be more like him. Dads, it's important to have mentors like that. You know who I think of in the church? Uh, we miss him. Back when we started doing discipleship classes in small groups and men's groups, small groups, I think of Ronnie Walden, the way Ronnie Walden would get in a group with younger guys because he wanted to encourage them to be steadfast and faithful in Christ. And those young guys loved Ronnie. He was a mentor to them. Men, do you have mentors like that? At all levels of society, people are looking for good examples. Again, Paul is saying to Timothy here, Timothy, you've got me. Here's the world. It's going from bad to worse. You're seeing men get more and more corrupt, more and more lovers of pleasure. Timothy, don't go that direction. Guard your heart. That you follow my example rather than following their example. And dads, could you say that to anybody? Could you say, hey, follow my example? And then most of all, what do we have? We have the Word of God. Beginning in verse 14, what's Paul say? But as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy not only only had Paul's life to follow as an example, but Timothy had the scripture, the witness of scripture. And Dad, you and I have the same. And the word he uses here is that we are there in verse 14 when he says, Continue in what you've learned. You are to make the word of God a constant. Dwelling place. It's the same word that Jesus used in John 15 when he was talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, remain in me. It's the same word. Continue. We're to remain in Christ, we're to remain in the Word of God, we are to continue in the Scripture. We're to continue. Now, notice what Paul says here about the Scripture. What's the Scripture do? He says, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Why? Because you know from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What's the first thing the Scripture is designed to do? To lead us to Christ. The scripture points out that I'm a sinner. Before God, I'm bankrupt. I can't save myself. It helps me to see my condition. But then it points me to Christ. That's what the Scripture does. And he's saying, Timothy, from from infancy, you've had the Scripture, and, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You've been a student of it. You've read it. You've listened to its message. You've obeyed it. You've repented of your sins and come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first goal and outcome of the Scripture. But that's not all. In verse... 16 and following, what do we see? That after becoming a child of God through faith in Jesus, what's the scripture do? It disciples us. It helps us grow. It helps us grow. Look at everything that it does. It's useful for teaching for what we're supposed to believe, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. How is a dad, how is a man of God supposed to uh, learn the Christian life? How is he to be a disciple? By dwelling, making a constant home in his heart and mind for the Word of God. If he'll get into God's Word, through God's Word, He will grow. He will grow in Christ's likeness. How can the Bible do something like that? Because it is God-breathed, verse 16 says. The Bible was written by men, but it wasn't written by the wisdom of men. It It was men who were inspired by God, carried along by God, Peter in 2 Peter 1 uses a phrase that described a a ship with a sail and the wind gets into that sail and carries that ship along. These holy men of old that wrote the Scripture, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit who inspired them to write the Scripture. Scripture can lead you to faith in Christ. It can lead you to salvation. It can lead you to discipleship because it's god breathed. It's God's Word. God's the ultimate source of it. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Folks, think about that. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. How are you going to learn about God and what God expects of your life through this book, the Bible? Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of God's word will pass away. A jot or a tittle were the smallest markings in the Hebrew language. Basically punctuation marks like our apostrophe or period. And Jesus said not one jot, not one tittle of God's word will pass away. All heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of his word will. Men, we need to be in the scripture. We need to make it a constant dwelling place in our hearts daily because God is, God's Spirit is going to use His Word to grow us and conform us to the image of Christ. And anything God calls us to do through this book right here, God's going to equip us. You know, through, throughout church history, there's been some different battles that have waged. The first battle that was waged in church history was over Christology. Who is Christ? The person and work of Christ. And they hammered that out and they came to biblical conclusions. But early heresies that would attack Christ, they had to answer those again, issues of Christology. Along came another challenge in church history. Soteriology. How is somebody saved? How are they made right with God? And in the Protestant Reformation, Protestant Reformers helped the church understand that. It wasn't through buying indulgences or something that the Roman Catholic Church was saying salvation came through Christ they hammered that out soteriology and then since since the enlightenment period the battle in the church today has been over issues of epistemology what is truth and how can you know truth and that's a battle the church is still having to wage well how do we know what truth is and how can we know truth because God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth. We have an anchor in the Word of God. Verse 17 points out that what the Word of God does, the ministry of the Word, has a purpose, namely your maturity. You're going to be able to be stable in turbulent time. Dad, so often men don't get into the word because they don't understand how it's laid out and organized and how it all fits together, telling one grand story of redemption. You know, there may be many narratives in the Bible, but there's only one meta narrative. All of the separate narratives fit together like a glove, enhancing the one meta narrative. And when somebody finally understands the scope and sequence of the Bible and how it all fits together, lights come on, and then they can't get enough of it. So oftentimes, though, men are scared to death of the Scripture it's like a puzzle and they don't know where to begin or what to do and so a man can spend most of his life or a huge portion of his life and never appreciate the treasure that God has waiting for you on the pages of Scripture folks it will be life-changing if you don't know how to read the Bible if you don't know what it's about and how the narratives fit together into this grand meta-narrative, this one beautiful story of redemption and how it all pieces together towards that one meta-narrative. If you need help with that, please let your pastoral staff help you. You may look at the world and see how the world is falling apart but you'll be able to look into the scripture and you'll be able to have a perfect peace that passes all understanding. So again dads, what's the message here? In the last days in which we're in now men are going to get worse and worse and worse. And we're going to have to deal with false teachers, voices out there who tell us lies. But if we'll continue in the Scripture and follow the good examples that we have, God's Word will lead us to salvation in Christ and then it will help us to grow and be discipled. And the hope that God puts in your heart will only blossom and grow all the more and bear fruit. God's not left us in 2020 just to try to grope in the darkness and find our own way. Dads, are these difficult days for you? We live in a society where people all around us love money and pleasure. Dads, keep your head on straight. Keep your focus. Lean on God. Don't give up. Ask God to provide some mentors, some godly mentors in your life who can help you and encourage you. Find a mentor here in the church.